You are listening to the Critical Mass Radio Show, Orange County's business talk show, focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies. With your host, Richard Franzini. Welcome to today's episode of Critical Mass Radio Show. I am your host, Rick Franzi, as promised. Nick Kabasevich is in the studio. He is CEO of Kush Bottles. Nick, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you here. You know, I've invited him here because, as I said, he's CEO of Kush Bottles, a packaging solution company targeted <clears throat> at the exciting emerging legal cannabis industry. I wanted him to share a bit of his experience as an entrepreneur in this newly evolving industry. So we've got a lot to talk about, but let's start by talking a little bit about you. Just kind of tell us your background before Cush. Yeah, I'm an entrepreneur uh, by by trait, I guess you could say. I was a college athlete, so a very competitive uh, spirit that I've always had. Uh, actually teamed up with a high school basketball teammate of mine, uh, Mr. Dallas and Bimbo, right. in 2009. Dallas had started a company in his dorm room. It was called Pack My Dorm. It was a moving and storage uh, company. I got involved there, and we ended up selling it, and then our, uh, our, our entrepreneurial journey really began. And so uh, one of the next companies that we started is Kush Bottles, uh-huh. um, and, you know, that's what we're here to talk about today, and, and it's very exciting. As you mentioned, it's it's an emerging industry, and it's the talk of the town exactly. right now. So it's, it's fun to be a part of it, and uh, we're really enjoying the ride. Okay, so um, what is it that you and Dallas saw in this space that, as entrepreneurs, you said, wait a minute, business opportunity yeah we saw a space that was uh something that nobody else was really looking at really we knew that uh cannabis was was popular uh it was you know something that you know is is at every high school at every college uh but really once we took a look at the medical marijuana program that was in place in california uh, we noticed that there was all other sorts of types of people that were actually participating in purchasing uh, legal cannabis for a variety of needs. Um, we saw that there were professionals, doctors, lawyers, uh, that type of caliber that was that were going to these dispensaries and purchasing product. And so uh, we knew that this industry was, was emerging. It was something that nobody was really targeting because of the negative stigma. Okay. Uh, but with some of the clientele that we saw that were, were partaking, we realized that eventually that stigma would would start to dissipate, okay. and that's when the door would really open up for, for business opportunities. So we decided to give it a go. So in business school parlance, you did some basic research on the customers of the industry, and you liked what you saw from the from the consumer part of it. Exactly. Because you're a B2C we're, we're, we're a B2B. A B2B, I'm sorry. B2B, B2B primarily. B2B. And, uh, you know, we, we did see that, you know, basically based on the, the people that were partaking, these these customers, these, you know, cannabis users, enthusiasts that right. don't typically fit the mold of what you would call a cannabis user, um, those are the people that are going to the polls. They're voting for change. And those people want cannabis uh, legalized and legitimized okay. so that it's not such a stigma. So you saw a macroeconomic trend then, right? You saw them demographic shift going on as well, right? We saw something, and then we took a bit of a gamble, and okay. it, it turns out we were right because now more states have followed, and right. the, the public momentum has shifted. And so, so, we, so we take me little... back to the in the early early days before proof of concept, and you got the mojo going, and you're you know you are where you are today. What was the advice that you were getting from well-intended people around you? I guess I, I have a, a perception of what it might be, but what what did you hear about people who were were anybody cautioning you about this or just help other entrepreneurs that might be listening to 
understand that. That was one of the hardest things uh, in this uh, career path that we chose, this, this business opportunity, because it was cannabis-related. A lot of people had the the blinders or you know they had the negative stigma that that had been put into their head whether it was back when they were in dare program in school um or you know whether it was they couldn't hang out with yeah whatever exactly and so we we had to fight that battle from from the start whether it was with friends and family right uh, or whether it was with potential investors as you move up the Right. That you would be targeting. And so, you know, a personal story of mine is I played college basketball in a town outside of Springfield, Missouri, a little town called Bolivar, Missouri. And that's right there in the Bible Belt. And I was, uh, you know, a team captain there. I had a great relationship with the community of that town. And I had a lot of uh, the booster community that was supporting the basketball team uh, that, you know, was following me. And they they had their eye on me. And I knew from a business standpoint, later, these are guys I could go back to and get involved with what I was doing. Uh, But the second that I made the move over to cannabis, I lost all those connections. Uh, people back in Missouri, you know, would would think that I was involved in in the heroin industry. You know, okay. the the perception around cannabis is is so negative in that part of the country and in some parts of, of the country still. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a challenge, right? I was I was basically having to let go of that whole network. Um, also, my dad was a criminal prosecutor and judge. Get out of town. He used to put people in prison. <laughs> For, Sorry, not laughing at his yeah. career. It's a noble career, but what an ironic thing. I know, I know. It's to make so, Thanksgiving a little interesting for you. You know, look, to my dad's credit, you know, he he was toward the end of his career, and, okay. and he's he's been more open-minded about this. Um, but obviously, uh, the initial uh, right. reaction from, you know, here really, Nick, of yeah. all the things you could do. <laughs> Dude, exactly. <laughs> so there, there's definitely some challenges that we had to overcome, and, and, you know, that any entrepreneur will have to overcome some of those challenges if they're entering this space however each you know each day each month that there's more positive news more credible research coming out about the benefits of of legal cannabis the more that stigma starts to dissipate which is good right i really appreciate you being so candid and sharing your experience because i look for transferable learning moments and while it's specific to your industry the resistance that you've met my sense is and my experience is entrepreneurs and other ventures may also meet with similar pushback, which sometimes can really affect their motivation to move forward, right? Yeah, exactly. With all these smart people, well, maybe we, hey, Dallas, maybe we're, uh, maybe that's not right for us. Right. Yeah, it's easy. It's easy to get discouraged and easy to uh, to listen to the chatter around you and and think about going a different direction. But right. you know, as we've you know, see, I'm a big you know avid reader, and you read a lot of books. And I mean, the, the people that achieve are the people that that kind of throw caution to the wind there. And, and yeah, they're getting advice from credible people, but they know in their heart right. what they can do and achieve, and they set down that path, and, and they end up you know yielding that fruit. And, and so let's let's talk about product. the company. Let's talk about Kush Bottles. It's a B two B play. So who who are your customers? What is it that you do, and who are your clients? So Kush Bottles is a leading compliant packaging solutions provider. We we provide uh, packaging solutions, and we also provide ancillary products to the legal cannabis industry. And so our customers include medical marijuana dispensaries, which is where we started in the state of California. Uh, we include retail cannabis outlets. Uh, those are present right now in the states of Colorado, Washington, and Oregon, Right. Uh, with Alaska coming on soon. Uh, and then we also deal with the other people in that 
supply chain, the, the cultivators, the growers, um, as they're going to need at some levels, they're required to packaging and uh, to package in some markets. Uh, but they're also going to need ancillary products. They're going to need, uh, you know, consumable gloves that, that their employees are wearing when they're handling the cannabis. They're going to need, um, you know, whether it's it's. Uh, a grinder or a lighter or, or another type of giveaway they want to do, they may be purchasing that from us. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, ha- we have a vast array of products that can apply to the cultivators, the guys that are processing, that are making edibles, and ultimately the retail outlets. So those are our kind of three core categories of our customer base. Okay. So when you entered, you entered the packaging space and very nice positioning of the brand when you gave the Kush bottles. That's good to entrepreneurs understand your core message and be able to say it wrote right mm-hmm. and believe it i understand that you actually look to create a differentiated product both on on the safety and quality of the product but also on the look and the 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 aesthetic aspect is that correct can, can, and if so can you talk a little bit about that definitely uh we you know just like any other industry right uh, cannabis is going to is becoming more and more competitive and people want to differentiate themselves and differentiate their brands as market leaders um, in the different markets and so one thing that we recognize early on that if we were going to be that packaging provider the one that's telling our customers how they should market and brand themselves essentially how they should stand out on the shelf right then we needed to exemplify all of those characteristics ahead of time. I follow that uh, logic. So we invested heavily in our branding um, in the products that we offer and how we portray them in being a higher quality higher quality, higher, um, really just a, a better product that we brought to the market. And so better materials that it's made with better materials, U.S. manufacturing. We invest in a, a lot of those types of products. Um, and then we've invested in proprietary products that nobody else has access okay. to, uh, because as we've seen the trends as we've been around since 2010, now we're able to predict where the market's going a little bit and, and maybe a product that's going to fit. Uh, where the market's going, but also a product that's going to have longevity uh, in regards to how it fits with the compliance and regulations, because that's another big aspect of this industry. Do you think you have first mover advantage in this and that being in the industry for five years, you've kind of, that's a long time for this industry, right? I mean, five years is five years, but you were in it, things were different as you talked about earlier. So do you have a bit of the first mover advantage where you're kind of in the market and recognized as being kind of first? We do. We have we have uh, multiple advantages because of uh, our our tenure and being around since 2010. The first mover advantage, obviously, you know, we're getting to market and we're getting in front of people, and people know our brand and, and they respect our brand. Uh, the other thing to consider in this industry is it's being regulated state by state, and it's being regulated in a way that's allowing small business operators to compete. Really, because they're giving. Uh, they're, number one, they're allowing for uh, only a certain amount of licenses and types. Um, so a okay. big corporation can't come in and grab them all, right? Uh, you know, in some markets, you're only allowed to have one license. You know, and, and if you're a tier three producer in Washington, you can grow in 30,000 square feet, and that's it. So you can't do 130,000. You can't do 500,000. So it prevents some of that big business aspect from coming in. So you have smaller local operators there's a lot of states that have residency requirements so the people getting these licenses to cultivate these people getting these licenses to retail have to be at least the organization must be at least 50 percent of uh made up of that state's residents wow. so they're creating I like all these things i mean I, I, you know it's it's allowing it small sounds business good. Yeah, yeah i'm a fan of small business and it, it is and, and so you know i think they're doing that because they want you know to, to kind of keep big business out uh 
at the start, but they also want to reward the people that put the hard work in to get cannabis legalized in their state. Uh, so it's good to see. Um, but what that means is we have a lot of operators that are coming from, you know, s- small business or uh, cannabis industry, you know, pre-legalization. And right. these guys are going to be more of your grassroots uh, type of movement. And in states like Oregon and Washington, Colorado, they're not uh, the most keen to a big business coming in and taking a ton of market share and making money off of their hard-earned okay. work to get this program legalized in the first place. So what we want to do show people is that we're participating. We've been there since 2010. We've helped shape the industry as it is today. We've right. helped push some of these uh, in- initiatives forward right. that benefit our customers and we're local. We have facilities in, in Orange County. We have facilities in Denver and uh, in Seattle. And so we're actually participating You're on a local part of the level. Community. We're part of the community. We have and a footprint we, there. You're employing We want people, people to know that we, we have local people there that understand the market. We're, we meet with the regulators in those unique markets. So we have a, a macro understanding of what they're dealing with on a day-to-day basis. So we can really be a partner to them, not just a company that's coming in to make money off of what they've done. Right. Well, okay, Nick, we're going to take a short break here. Don't go anywhere, ladies and gentlemen. I've got more questions of Nick. It's a fascinating business and a fascinating industry. So we'll be right back on Critical Mass Radio Show after this word from our sponsor. Richard Franzi is a highly sought-after keynote speaker on topics of interest to CEOs of middle firms across North America. Richard's talks include Killing Cats Leads to Rats, a fascinating look at how unintended consequences of CEOs' decisions impact their firm's performance. Your Gray Matter Matters, which explores how a CEO's mindset can differentiate a middle market firm and define its culture. Richard delivers talks to a variety of audiences, ranging from executive team retreats to keynotes in front of hundreds of CEOs. To learn more about his talks, visit criticalmassforbusiness.com and select the contact page or call 949-887-4104. Welcome back to this edition of Critical Mass Radio Show. I am your host, Rick Franzi. We love reviews on this show of your in your favorite podcasting software. If you take a minute and go back and write a short review, it really helps us reach more people like you because we'll be uh, obviously more searchable and findable. So if you wouldn't mind, take a minute. We greatly appreciate it. We love reviews here on Critical Mass Radio Show. Nick, you took the company public last June, correct? June 15th, I think. I mean, June 2015, June 8th, 2015? Is when we filed our our registration statement with SEC, and we began uh, trading on the OTC market in January of this year. In January, okay, thank you. Uh, June 8th stuck in my mind because that's my wedding anniversary. So, right. so I might have got that day. It's a little bit confused, but that, that, hey, what a coincidence. Anyway, so peel back for the other entrepreneurs that are out there that are running private companies. Why did you and Dallas decide to go public and that that was the time to file and then later to go public? You know, I think in everything, there's no black or white answer. So you have to look at the situation that you're in and what's the best fit for what you're currently doing. And for us, uh, we have companies that are, that are uh, you know, successful and have grown, you know, revenues even bigger than Kush Bottles, but we've kept them private for a reason. With Kush Bottles, the reason we decided to go public was because the cannabis movement was gaining a lot of momentum nationwide and people were looking to participate in any way they can. Okay. Um, and so you have, uh, you know, the vast majority of the, of the country 
at the time was unable to have a legal cannabis program in their state or where they where they could do business. So how else are they going to be able to get a piece of this uh, this green rush or this this cannabis movement? Well. They can invest in a, in a public company or buy public stock. And so what we were seeing is that companies on the public market that were in the space were, were getting, you know, healthy evaluations out there, uh, which is always good to see. And uh, companies that were in the, in the public space weren't doing even, you know, half or, or a third of what we were doing as okay. far as building a real brand, getting consistent reoccurring revenues. Yet they were they were being valued, you know, five, six you know, 10x of what we were being valued on the private market. Then, yeah. So, you know, we wanted to get out there. We wanted to do things the right way. We wanted to kind of set the tone. And, and our goal was to really uh, hit the public markets and then um, create a platform in which we could essentially let the, the country know or, or, you know, the world know that there is legitimate businesses operating in the cannabis space. The cannabis industry is a growing and legitimate industry, right? Some people don't realize how big it's getting, how big it has has gotten to, and how big it's going to be in the future. So we we figured that going public really would give us that platform and that voice to get out there and and show people that it's a real movement. So if you could help share your experience of six, seven months not being a public company, is there anything that you would share with other entrepreneurs who are considering going public? Did you learn anything in this first kind of half of the year that you that you would be instructional to share with other people listening to the show? Yeah, certainly. You know, we learned uh, a lot, and we learned all the processes and, and how and how these markets work. And you know, like with anything, there's there's the good and there and there's the bad. And so, um, one thing that I think was eye opening is is just the amount of uh, toxic capital capital that is uh, offered to you when you get into a position of being public. A lot of firms. Can you define that? Term? Yeah. So a lot of firms will come to you and, and they'll say, Hey, you know, we'll write you a check today. And, and you're, Oh, great. You know, let's talk. And then you get some of these term sheets and the way that they're structured, if you were to take that money and whether it's, it may be a convertible note that, um, you know, you have the option to pay back, but if you don't pay it back and most growing companies are going to put that money to work, exactly. um, then that's, then that note is going to convert into stock at a, at a discounted market to a discount to the real market. And that company is going to dump that stock as quick as they can to, to ensure their profit. Um, and the, Really, more than that, the investors that are buying your stock are going to see that note sitting there, and they're going to devalue your company based on the fact, not of how well your company is doing, but based on the fact that you have some sort of toxic debt or toxic note in place. So you really have to look at these term sheets. I mean, there's there's all sorts of other ones that, that would get thrown our way. Okay. Um, and not only the term sheets, but the, the groups behind them. What have they done to other companies when they've gotten involved? Have those companies been thrown into what we call the death spiral? <laughs> you know, where, where next thing you know, their stock's going down and they need to take more capital and it has to be more toxic and, and they're one penny before you know it. Right. Um, so, you, you know, you just have to really look and do your diligence. Um, and there are credible uh, firms out there. There's, there's credible capital out there, but you have to be smart about how you navigate. So that's one of the the first things that, that was eye-opening about this whole process. And then um, an, another thing is, is we looked at kind of the way that we were going public. A lot of people were doing reverse mergers um, and stuff that was a little bit um, – 
could be deemed from the outside looking in as, uh, you know, shady or something that, that was more of a pump and dub. Uh, so we wanted to make sure that when we if we did this, we were going to do it the right way and be fully transparent. So we had to get a full two-year audit. Um, and that's something where, you know, you're in a cash business and, you know, not by choice, but because right. banking industry has shied away from this industry. Big time. Um, and we had to, you know, we're startups, so we're bootstrapped. We don't have the most account- financial resources available to us uh, when you talk about an accounting department. Uh, so we had to, you know, get that and clean it up and get the right people in that could put the controls in place to make sure that we could be compliant with the SEC and with the GAAP standards right. that you need to. So, so a lot of that prep work, you, you need to be realistic about your, your company and your situation and, and that you can accomplish what needs to get done as far as the prep steps to even right. get to these public markets and be successful. Because if not, you're going to get there and you're going to be drowning. And, and your CFO becomes very important. Right? CFO becomes process. much more important. Much yes. more part of the leadership team. Right. Yeah. All right. Um, can, can I ask you about the next big cannabis venture? Certainly. Would you, would you first of all set the stage for where it is and give us an update on where you are within the within the process? Yeah, the, the next big cannabis venture is a contest that um, you know Dallas and myself were the were uh, still the largest shareholders of our company. Uh, we have been very successful in in, a, in several different entrepreneurial endeavors, and we like the cannabis space because it's all emerging businesses. It's everybody's bootstrapping. There's not a lot of institutional capital available because of the federal uh, rules, the illegalities surrounding cannabis. Um, so you have guys that are, that are friends and family money. They're, they're trying to get to market. Everybody's at a, in a rush to get it, to be a part of this thing. Um, and we thought about how we could give back as, as successful entrepreneurs in this space. Uh, we have a great distribution network uh, that our company has, and, and we work with all these you know thousands of, of cannabis retailers and cannabis producers. Um, we have a great network that a lot of business models could easily plug right into and get a product to market or get a service to market um, that they wouldn't necessarily be able to do on their own. So leveraging the fact that we have capital backing uh, because we're now public, leveraging the fact that we have a great distribution network and a great brand presence, we wanted to put something out there that gave other entrepreneurs a chance to uh, tap into what we have and give them a better shot at being successful at their venture. Mm-hmm. Um, so we call it the next big cannabis venture, and we open it up as a, as a contest, something that uh, you know we were hoping would would go viral and people, entrepreneurs all around the country could say, "Hey, I've been considering getting into the cannabis industry. This could be my right. opportunity." Um, and we offered up to half a million dollars in stock. Uh, for a winner. Now, obviously, with all these things, you have to uh, make sure that you're protected on your downside. So, you know, the the winner, whether they'll get the full half million or not, uh, directly depends on their finances and the state of their company sure. and their idea. Yeah. So we're looking at, uh, we looked at, you know, dozens and dozens of, of submissions. So you had good response to We it. had great response, and, uh, you know, we went through a lot of good candidates. Uh, we essentially selected three finalists, which will be announced, uh, I believe, at the end of this week. Okay. And uh, and that those three finalists uh, that, that we're choosing uh, will have the opportunity to actually present a business plan, uh, a pitch deck, and a, a pro forma. And then we cannot really identify if one of them is going to be a truly a successful business. And if we're leveraging our network properly, hopefully there's a much better shot at them being successful. And then sure. we we do we, we we consummate the deal and we make it happen and we give. 
uh, another entrepreneur that's out there an opportunity of a lifetime. That's fantastic. Yeah. So when, when you and Dallas get together and you brainstorm, I mean, I only have like a minute left, but I'm just curious. What's the magic there? I mean, how does that work? You know, it's great. We, we've known each other since high school. We're high school teammates, so we're, we're great friends, but we've done a lot of successful businesses together. And so we've leveraged the experiences that we both had. And Dallas is the CEO of, of one of our other companies, Big Rents, mm-hmm. which is a private company. And, you know, that you know over $30 million in revenue. And, you know, we've taken on some different sorts of fundraising there. And so, uh, you know, the, his experience, now I'm running a public company, and so I have all this public knowledge right. and experience. And so... Uh, what we see in the market and, and the people we've dealt with and know we know what's scalable and what isn't. And so when we brainstorm, we really have a lot of experience to draw upon and a lot of good resources at our disposal. And so, you know, folks like you that are dealing with entrepreneurs on a daily basis, those are the type of resources that we have access to. And so we can kind of formulate what we think is going to be a successful venture, uh, who's going to be a, a successful entrepreneur given their, their pedigree. Right. And so it's really neat, and, and we've seen things work. We've seen a ton of things fail. Uh, but all the all the while, we've had fun doing it. We've developed further developed our relationship, and we've been successful in a lot of areas. So it's it's been a blessing, and we're you know happy to be a part of, of numerous things and be an influence in numerous entrepreneurs uh, careers and and ventures and paths and so happy to be here and thank you again for having me it on sounds the show like you guys are only yeah. getting started frankly you're just getting started uh if someone wants to learn more about kush bottles how do they find the firm online Find us online at kushbottles.com or um, ir.kushbottles.com. Um, our company is traded on the OTC, like we mentioned, under the symbol KSHB. Um, so a lot of public data available there if people want to check it out. Um, and we're right here in Orange County. I mean, we're in Santa Ana, and so we have customers that come in on a daily basis that want to check out our product offerings and talk to our uh-huh. our uh, credible team members that understand the industry. And, and a lot of entrepreneurs looking to get in the space a great place to start is coming and consulting with us because right. we offer all this stuff for free. We're trying to earn your packaging business. We want to be a true partner, uh, but people have questions, right? They're, they, they've never been in the cannabis industry. There's a lot of uh, regulation, a lot of very dynamic things happening in the industry, and our job is to be up to speed on all of them and, and to be a resource for our right. it sounds It sounds like it's a very strong ground ground game, but you have to be careful how high you get up because the federal government is sort of flying at a certain level. And you yeah, there's, there's, you all, those boys, so. there's all sorts of nuances that, right. that makes our industry very unique. It's gone by so fast. I can't thank you enough for coming in and sharing just a little bit of your experience for the benefit of my audience. Thanks for being a friend of the program and a part of the critical mass community, Nick. I've really enjoyed it. Definitely, and uh, I appreciate all the good work you do in, in the entrepreneurial community, and I, I'm glad I could help, and I'm happy to be on uh, in, in the future. Okay. Uh, should have permit. Got it. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening to the show. We'll be back here on OC Talk Radio next week, Tuesday, 4 to 5 p.m. You have been listening to Critical Mass Radio Show Business Talk Show, focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies. With your host, Richard Franzi.